everybody yep it's that time of the week again bitch that's right it's another episode of old school new school comedy podcast and i am your host christy miller and this week i have uh, he said to say it from the heart so he's so dead right now <laughs> give him a throw him under the bus uh, this man you know this is where we come and talk shop the old school i always say like shh comics are talking <laughs> and this show we broadcast live kind of sort of from the comic strip live here in new york city and this man with me this week is someone that's near and dear to my heart um i didn't get to become friends with him until the pandemic thanks covid <laughs> i took the vaccines and he's still here dun 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 oh, hold on <laughs> oh god this man is a legend uh he started out with uh you may have heard of this guy this you know it's a rare guy but this guy this cat named eddie murphy um it was a kid yeah a kid yeah he had some primus yeah yeah he you know he's going places i think that's what i thought the first time i saw him <laughs> i thought you know what that kid he is gonna make people think rodney allen rippy was a fluke good night <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the death of me. I yes, I know. <laughs> no, you really, you were going to be prepared for me. You should have crickets. Oh. You should have, do I have crickets? Well, it's even warm. The applause. Those are large, large crickets. Yeah, <laughs> large crickets that use their hands. Like, That's right. Instead of, anyway. Um, he was also a uh, producer for, what, 31 years? Um, Actually, writer perform. A writer perform, Whatever. Well, producer <laughs> makes it seem like I had a lot more responsibility than I really did. So. He was the re he was the resident funny man and writer on I Miss in the Morning. Y'all remember that? Those good old days. Back when AM radio used to exist. Yes. And his hair was big enough for AM radio. <laughs> uh, also, you could have, you probably have seen this gentleman here on the Little Shop of Horrors on Broadway or Chicago. Or uh, how to succeed in business? How to succeed in business? Or the odd couple? Or the odd couple? <laughs> or 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 sweet charity? Hey, that's my stripper name. <laughs> <laughs> Swing low, sweet charity. <laughs> anyway, this guy is probably one of the funniest men I've ever been graced in the presence of. He also wrote a really funny movie script I want to talk about more that we did a reading of. A play. A play. How about you paid attention? <laughs> I'm trying to build you up. Which it's eventually going to be a movie script. See, I'm looking point. long term. You're your life. Okay. I, you think small. I'm thinking big time. Anyway, I always think small. You're much better <laughs> off thinking small and being pleasantly surprised later. <laughs> I like to think long term, so I'm fully disappointed. Oh, see, I'm because I'm, I'm, I'm a woman. woman. That's what we do. <laughs> I'm going to be dead in two years, so I just shut up. Bite your fucking tongue. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this is the legend himself, Mr. Rob Bartlett. <laughs> My little queen wave. <laughs> you know what our queen wave is in Hell's Kitchen? Hey, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, folks. Come along. You should, you should think about doing this for a living. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You can't. You got a spark. Here, I was just, here I quit comedy this morning. Like I do every day. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've done every day yeah, no. <laughs> for the past 43 years. 
I go, what days do you quit comedy? On the days that end with a Y. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So tell me, what's going on with you? What's the latest in the Rob Bartlett world of uh, genius? It's, uh, I'm doing a lot of teaching. Uh, I started, I started doing COVID, doing online coaching and, uh, and, and acting teaching. Uh, I'm giving, the, you know, these young kids starting out, I'm giving them a, a leg up and giving them the benefit of my, my wisdom, my, my Broadway veteran wisdom, my, my national television, you know, character actor credential <laughs> wisdom, um, <laughs> my stand-up comedy wisdom. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm not making any money yet, but <laughs> it's, it's good. I'm helping the kids. <laughs> uh, I have two students. Be the children our future. I played as a theme song. Right? Uh, <laughs> As got, they fall off the stage in <laughs> graduation. I have two students uh, in Belfast who I work with. Every what, do you have a restraining order? No. Are they not allowed within no, no. 17 continents? It's actually my, my, first, uh, wow. my first student. Uh, wow. Rowan, he, uh, his, he came to me. He was doing Little Shop. Uh-huh. For his mom's theater company and was Mushnick, and I guess he looked me up online and saw, mm-hmm. and then I I started promoting my you know rbstudio.com and uh, he inquired and so we started started working with him. He had a had an audition. He had a five songs mm-hmm. for a musical theater program, five songs, different song, and so we worked on them as monologues. Oh, fantastic! And, um, and then he did, and he Brilliant. ended up, you know, getting a big deal out of it. And he's so good that I, I just put him on scholarship. So he's, so I'm not making any, but he is so damn good. It's like, Aww. he's better than some people have actually been on Broadway with. So I'm, I'm not surprised. You, it, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, in, you know, Panama or the DR, like baseball. Yeah, exactly. Like you, the hidden talent is in these rural places that are just, and you feel like they're never going to get discovered, but thank God with the internet, you found him. Yeah, and now his career is over. It's over. <laughs> it's over. He's dead. I said, you know, you should come over here because you're going to run for your money over here. But uh, he's yeah. kingpin in Belfast. There's a, there's a lot going on over there. He's really? Just, yeah. He introduced me to a buddy of his, a friend of his from school, mm-hmm. um, Conan, and and so the two of them. I went with the two of them. Was it Ronan and Conan? Rowan and Conan. <laughs> yeah. uh, Rowan and Cohen's laughing. That's right. They're both, they're both really, really great. And have, you know, usually I get like college students who are going to audition for their programs. Fantastic. And then there's a handful of people who will just contact me for an audition coaching session. Pixie, you, you met Pixie at the reading. Pixie Esmond, she played the... She the girl sitting at the upper table? The short, the short. Yeah, she yeah. was cute. She was yeah. really cute. Yeah. What a fun crew that was. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was the first time I actually heard it out loud. Sure. You know, read through it. So all the voices in my head were represented by actual real people. I love that I could be one of your voices in your head. You're, you're great. I told you. Thank so you. You're, you're, you're an actor. You got some acting chaps there. Yeah, I did well, all that in the 90s. I know, I can tell. You can always tell. It's 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 a now you you can't really teach the natural. Yeah. If it's a natural, it's a natural. So and you're you're definitely a natural. So thank you. So I've been doing that and uh, doing some writing and uh, I'm doing actually this Tuesday night. I'm doing uh, my act for the first time in three years. When was Nelson's benefit? That's the last time I did my act. Two years. Um, that was a fun night for Bob. Nelson. It was. It was a fun night. Um, it was all the has beens and never wases of comedy. Kind <laughs> of. I, and I was headlining. And I wasn't even booked. How sad. No, but it was great. I couldn't even get off the line. We, we, actually, we met in person after all this online exposure. To you. I know. Great. It was like, but, you know, I told you, it was like, a, I felt like I knew you 
when I started out with yeah, and that telethon that we did, that twenty four hour yeah. fundraiser on in lockdown. And when I saw you, and I, I always knew who you were, mm-hmm. I knew of you, but to like sit in like our you know East Hollywood Square <laughs> and just riffing. Oh my, I haven't laughed so hard in my life that night. That was a really great. That was a great. Whatever. What it was for famine, whatever it was, it was just great. Uh, Richie Byrne and Mark Rickadum, uh, and just and Craig Gas was there, and you and me, and Poveromo, John Poveromo, Veromo, who, who I think I was the only girl in our group on that was on that time slot because nobody can hold the candle to you, Christy. That's why. Well, I just killed them. That's all. <laughs> <open. laughs> the bitch, get out, get ready, get rid of the competition, right? Because uh, you know, women can't be friends, no, you know that. absolutely not, especially women comics. Oh my god, well, men and women comics can't be friends either. Oh, yeah, we can, right? Yeah, okay. Um, because men will be nicer to women comics than women will be to women comics because men still see a vagina and there's that slim shot of fucking her. <laughs> so their odds. <laughs> it's true, though. Think about it. It's no. so true. I'm a female comic, believe it or not. Contrary to popular belief. <laughs> you actually, well, you know, you're pretty funny for a girl. Um, you're <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna get real old real quick. That's already old. <laughs> like my act. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Nothing's yeah. that old. That's true. Cher is that old as you, sweetie? <laughs> yeah. So I'm doing that. Uh, the, there's a, a the Cinema Arts Center in Huntington is doing a new thing called Stand Up Sit Down, where they have. Uh, I'm actually the first one that um, will do some of my act, and then uh, the guy comes up and interviews you on stage. He tells stories from your career, which I have. You know. You have know, millions. Yeah, some amazing stories. Some of, funny stuff, some crazy stuff that's happened over the years, I have to say. I mean... I just want you to go off in one of your characters on one of those stories, telling the story, but you go into one of your many characters that you just zone out and become this crazy per. Oh, dude, if you ever get a chance, Bartlett is fucking the greatest off the cuff. I, uh... <laughs> I was doing... When I was on IMS, I did... <laughs> Um, from the Beach Boys, I did Brian Wilson. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brian Wilson. How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> so, and he, I would just, you know, drop into Brian Wilson or or whoever. It was always that was always my background. I I never really did straight stand up. No, you know, it was always like character bits. I started out. I, was, I had a suitcase. I was a prop comic. I did characters. Da 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 Look out, carrot top. That's right. No, really. No, really. I put him to shame. Eventually, I just got tired of lugging that suitcase around and just started doing the characters. But what I would do is I would do almost like these monologues. Right. With a character. Right. The signature piece at the time was Tom Carvel, who was a Carvel commercial, where Carvel was interviewing one of the store owners like he used to do back in the day. Right. And, um, the store owner was in the Bronx. Is he married a woman from Italy who didn't speak any English? And he had a daughter who had a limp, and uh, he was trying to make money for the operation because his daughter kept saying, "Daddy, why do I walk like this?" But it's because you were a pimp in a past life. Carl <laughs> <laughs> had this promotion: you buy one, get one free. Which you know, legs pissed up. <laughs> exactly, you get one, you get it. So bad. you buy one, you get one. You get the one you buy. <laughs> um, and so it was Carvel, and I would do the guy Louie, and, and the guy just kind of loses it. I was like, right. but it was like this four character thing that I would just go into because Jonathan Winters was a huge influence. Jonathan Winters, I when I was a kid, and he was on it was on Showtime. He had a show. 
Yeah, yeah, he had a show. Had a half hour show. Yeah. Um, that shit was so fucking gee. I would be glued. And my favorite part, of course, as a child, when he would go up in the attic, the attic. and pull different hats on and change characters. They and just let him walk around the attic and then just mm. take, he could do 40 minutes with an umbrella. Yeah. You know, it was like, it's just such genius, genius, genius stuff. And for those of you out there, if you don't know who Jonathan Winters is, you need to look him up and Jonathan research him. This is like, oh, this is the old school portion of old school. And it's like, I love comedy history. And it, it bums me out that all these new jacks now, no idea their right. history. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah, there's a, um, he did a Sinatra, Friars Club Roast, and he came out as Sinatra's bus driver. And I remember. He renders Sinatra, Johnny Carson, and just about everybody in the dance to jelly. Yeah. He just, but because the stuff that comes off the table is so quick and brilliant. Yeah, I pulled over to the side of the roadway where we got a dog. Frank <laughs> wanted a dog, and they were selling a dog at the side of the road. And so, uh, you know, the, the dog, you know, we put the dog on the on the hood of the bus, and then it started to snow, and I put the windshield wipers on. Of course, the dog got caught in the windshield, and the ball, woo, woo, woo. <laughs> and the just falls. Yeah. It's just, you crying, laughing. He was just. Just a genius. I cried when he died. It was just so broke my heart. He's one of my first like big, like idols that I would just watch and just watch him work. Oh yeah, and watch him off the cuff and uh -huh. how he was so free and trusted his gut and so committed to the characters that everything was hilarious. He would go places that you know, nobody would ever think to go. I mean, Robin Williams would go on and on and on about how inspired he was by John Williams. Yeah. Very thing. It was just like he would pick up on the smallest thing and just... It's it's a gift. Really a gift. It's and, and really a gift. You can't teach it. You can't. You can't. And there are a handful of guys who can kind of... You know, there's the comics who just memorize every single word in their act. They have the same inflection. They used to kill me. I'd be on the road, and the opener in the middle act would literally, you could just play a tape. It was exactly yeah. the same inflection, the same timing. Mm -hmm. Not that the material was bad, but the performance no. was so... But you knew, we just, yeah, because it was like listening to a tape. Right. And then and then you go see it live, and it's like the lip syncing to yeah. that tape. Yeah, yeah. It's like Britney Spears. Yeah, yeah. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Almost did. I touched I it. Know, it's, it's a crutch. You don't need it, Christy. Well, it's like, um, I do. You do? No, I don't. Well, it's like, you know, it's funny because I had this conversation when I was opening for Andrew Dice Clay at Soul Joel's a couple years back during, we did the Palsy show because mm -hmm. he was filming a documentary. I don't know if it's coming out or not, but we filmed a documentary. It's called Behind the Leather. I really hope it comes out because it's brilliant. It should. And uh, so we did the palsy shows when he was Brian Wilson for a while. Oh, God. That's a callback, ladies and gentlemen. That's a callback. See, in comedy, they have a thing called a callback. It's like when you set something up earlier on in your act, and then later on you bring it back as a punchline, and then the audience feels smart because they remember. <laughs> I was almost touching the rim. Sit on your hands. Okay. So, um... But it's funny because, like, Joel Richardson, who owns it, his girlfriend sat in the front row both nights. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my act. I know my material, mm -hmm. for my hours of material, but I don't memorize word for word. Never I, the same. My brain doesn't work that way. Never the same. I've seen I'm you. so fast and all over the place that it's whatever's happening in the room 
I address it. And I like to jump in the pool and meet all the people in the audience and go, hey, what are we doing? Is this where we are? Okay, I'm going to talk to you guys that way as opposed to dragging and kicking and screaming. You work a crowd like few people I yeah. know work a crowd and, and you seamlessly add the stuff that you have. I use them as segues. Yep. Exactly. And, and it all seems spontaneous. Like, yeah. It never seems road. It's all. I have more people come up to me after shows on the road or wherever. Like, did you just make all that up on the spot? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, no. But it comes off that way. Yeah. I, Cold Romo does the same thing. Yeah. It's very, it, very similar. Yeah. It's just, it's, I don't like to sound rigid. And I'm, and nothing against it because I used to be jealous of mm -hmm. those comics, like the Jerry Seinfelds. Like, mm -hmm. even a buddy of mine that I came up with, Bob Oshak, who became a big TV writer. Mm -hmm. This dude had his, everything was memorized word for word. And I could see him in his head reading, like through his eyes, reading the teleprompter in his brain. I was fascinated by that, that you, people could memorize like that. But I'm too all over the place and I like to see what's happening. I can't because I'm too distracted by a room full of people. Yeah, well, see, so that's the thing too. So Jerry is prepared, but he never comes off rote. No. He knows his material really, really well, but he also performs it. He knows He's what he needs to do in terms of making the audience feel comfortable. And it's second nature. I mean, yeah. as long as he's been doing it, he's been yeah, it's, it's, longer than me. And yeah. so it's, and he knows how to like, say the words that he said a thousand times before as though it was the first time yep. saying it's when you do a play or you, yeah you're in a play well, committing to the bit yeah well, yeah it's that one is absolutely true you gotta and, commit and to the believing bit. what the fuck you're saying and making it seem like it's the first and yeah it's so funny because uh but you really have to love what you do and like joel's oh girlfriend, yeah if you love what you do it's always gonna feel fresh right right and you know jerry does and it's like when joel's girlfriend came up to me the second night after the show she looked at me and she goes, holy shit, I just saw two different shows in two nights. She goes, how did you do that? I said, well, it's wherever the audience is. I mean, the first night they were drunk and rowdy when they got there because we we're just coming out of lockdown. Mm -hmm. So there was still early shows. Nothing was open late. Things right. were still under restrictions, but not restricted, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so... I said, it's wherever the first crowd was rowdy, like drunk, like happy hour come to the show after, like crazy. They were already drunk when they got there mm -hmm. and they kept drinking. So I had to match their level and their energy and then corral them. It took me 25 minutes to get them behaving yeah. so Dice can have a good show. So she goes, how do you do that? I said, well, I go, I, she goes, do you just make, I go, no, all the materials here, I did pretty much almost the same jokes. I go, but I use you guys and whatever's happening as a segue. She goes, that was brilliant. She goes, I just see guys every night, and it just sounds like they're reciting yeah. off of a piece of paper. And I said, well, they are. And God bless them. I can't do that. I wish I could. My life would be so much easier. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it's just, but you know, no one's going to remember it. See, that's the thing. It's, you want to leave an impression. Especially they're coming on a comedy show like in the old days here at the Strip and at, yep. at Catch. They'd see 13, 14, 15 acts in a Hell, show. Comedy store was the same way. Yeah. Eight to two. And so I'm trying to do something to stand out to make them remember you. Yep. And they weren't going to remember you if you were just going to go by road. So, I mean, yep. in many ways, I was very lucky to have, you know, started out in that kind of an environment because, and I used to love to MC for that very reason because I could um, dissect my act and then take little snippets of it to put them in between yep. the different That's so fun when it was needed. Yeah, and then you can find new gems exactly when you break it down. I love like Mitzi would have me host the the potluck on Sunday, so it was a three hours 
from 7 to 10. So from 7 to 8 was just the open micers. He had to bring them up, get them out, get them out. There was 20 of them. So I would just get them out, make fun of them, get them out, make fun of each one for like a 10 seconds, bring them up, give them good intros, but then like get the audience involved with them if there was audience there. And then from 8 to 9 was the employee comics, the doorman, the parking lot guy, the phone guys, the cover booth dude. So we would get to do time. And then from 9 to 10 was Missy showcases. So then you had to host those up. And then at 10 o'clock, when you change the room over, then you do your 10-minute set. Mm -hmm. And then you pass the baton to the MC for the Poppins part for the second half. It was a lot of, but it was. But I, talk about training, man. That was like, That's like boot camp. I was going to say, it's like, it was like a college. It's like yeah. a master program. Yeah, I was like in graduate school. Yeah. I mean, I got, I would try bits here and there and I would write in between. Mm -hmm. And just the, the amount of material I wrote in those years was like insane. Also, when you when you when you're doing that, you change the order, yeah, stuff. And I used and to you get out of your f little rut. I used to find out so much about my act by by changing the order and and changing what came before and after a particular piece. And you would discover different things huh? in the way that they related yep. to each other, and it just gave it that little extra bit of freshness that yeah. that it needed. You yeah. added more, you know. You added more side dishes to it that you could serve it with. You could dress it up like it, and it's it is exactly that. You can totally, if you do it separately, and then you normally do it after this bit, but you do it then. It's like, oh, I found this nugget. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can actually do this here. Right. And you know, one thing I always learned too as a comic is all my jokes. I write them as closers. That's great. And That's I want to make sure every joke I can close on in case I get run out of time mm -hmm. and I'm going in my groove. I know how to end it, right? And and make sure that bit has a the big ending. ending. That's yeah, great idea. No, I, I, I'm telling you, I think part of it too is when you're taking it seriously, um, you have to take on the responsibility. You have to be cognizant of the fact that your job is to make people laugh. And, and if you're not doing everything that you can to do that, you know, it's like a, a surgeon. You know, I don't feel like doing this. You know, I'm I'm gonna skip the stitches part. I'm just gonna fuck them. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. Doing this hernia thing. Yeah, this person sucks. You gotta step up. I mean, you gotta actually. <laughs> I remember we used to um, talkbacks, um, Broadway shows. If you if you mm -hmm. um, get a group sale, if it's big enough, they can they usually get what they call the talkback, which is after it's usually after a matinee. Right. And um, the group will come to the front of the the house and. Uh, Whatever cast members, it's not required, but you, you sit on the stage and you talk and you answer questions. And it's always fun to see what people get out of what you've just done. Right, yeah. And um, somebody said, it was Chicago, mm -hmm. and uh, Sean Amandjama, I'll never forget it. He uh, was in the ensemble, dance ensemble, the greatest dancing on Broadway is in Chicago. Yes, I, uh, I agree. What they put themselves through is just unbelievable. Yeah. He was from around i think and uh, he's since gone back but he was incredible and really really funny really gifted and somebody said how do you make it seem so fresh how do you make it seem like it's the first time you're saying things and part of that is in your training as an actor you learn how to yeah. you know fake this spontaneity yeah but he said somebody told me that theater is a very special thing and many times people will associate a moment in their life with going to the theater. They'll commemorate it, they'll celebrate it by going to a Broadway show. It could be an anniversary, it could be a birthday, it could be retirement, mm -hmm. it can be a first date, it can be somebody's gonna ask somebody to marry them on that night. Right. He said, and it's your responsibility to make the memory of the show 
as positive as it can to be associated with this moment in their lives. Make it as important so that yeah. the whole thing becomes this huge event in their life, big life-changing events. And that's your responsibility because, I mean, yeah. you got to be grateful to, to have a gig in show business, period. Yeah. But like to be on Broadway, and yeah. you can always tell the ones who are like, Dilettantes and the ones who are like really the serious hardcore who know right. that it's a business. You know, it's people like Nathan Lane and and, uh, and Dan Radcliffe. You know, they show up to the first day of rehearsal off book. You know, they know all their lines. Dan yep. knew all his lines. He knew all his choreography. He knew all his music. First day of rehearsal. Wow. You know, and then, you know, I'd been doing some directing with oh, this like uh, local in Long Island community theater. It's basically high school, college kids. And we were doing a production of Carrie and Carrie the Musical. And we had six rehearsals over the course of three weeks. Wow. To put up the show. Right. And I said, okay, by the third rehearsal, you need to be off book. Well, you would have thought I asked them <laughs> to walk on water. It was like, and they rebelled. It's not fun. It's too much like a job. It's like... Oh, my God. What, what part of it is not a job? It, I thought you guys were like, some of you were like looking to do this for a living. Well, I'm here to show you that this is what you, this is not just, it's not show play, it's show business. You know, you got to take it seriously. But yeah. uh, these kids today, they don't want to do nothing. They don't want to wake. They don't want to think. It's just that, that years ago, I would wear a tuxedo to work. A tuxedo. Every night it was like a bar mitzvah. Every single night. Now they go up with the t-shirts and the jeans. And yeah. It's <laughs> just a, do we have any women in the house? I mean, what is that? You know, it's <laughs> I just, I'll drop it to an old Jewish man at the drop. I love when you do that. That's beautiful. See, this is the magic of Rob Bartlett. He'll just go off on a tangent, and I'm peeing my pants laughing. <laughs> the benefit for Bob, for Bob Nelson. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's the first time I had seen him in 20 years. Right. You guys had a falling out, didn't you? Well, yeah. You know, it's. The three of us, it was Eddie, Bob, and I were the identical triplets. We were this right. group together. Right. And then, of course, Eddie took off, and Bob and I stayed behind. <laughs> but we worked a lot together. We'd do the East Side, we'd book in the same show, and then we would do stuff together. Rob right. and Bob would call it. And it was basically these little sketchy things, and it was mostly improv. Two divers, two cavemen discovering how to you know, speak for the first time, whatever it was. <laughs> and I hadn't seen him in a really, you know, 20-some-odd years. Yep. We were in the back in the, in the podcast yep. studio at Governors. Oh, and, this was magic. And we were sitting down. I have that somewhere, by the way. You do? Yeah. Oh, I would love to see it, because we had... Those, you know, Judy from Time Life books. Yes. Headsets, you know, on. And Judy from Time Life books is a 70s, early 80s reference that you young kids just lose out on all the delicious. Think of a drive through patient with that thing and that thing. That's what we had to win. And um, so Nelson. Was... Well, think of a gamer. Gamers wear those. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. See, I brought it up to date, thank Grandpa. You, thank you so much. <laughs> when I would, I would still be driving a steam-driven Caught my wheelchair would be a steam driven, um, the a horse and carriage chair, <laughs> and the horse would be steam driven. <laughs> uh, and Bobby and I were sitting in the corner. I said, So we, we look like pilots, <laughs> and we snapped into this. Yep, we just went off in this pilot co pilot thing, and just and it was like 
10 minutes of magic. Like I seen him the night before. It was yeah. like we picked up. Yeah, yeah well, that's, but that's true friendship. And well, also that's just really blatantness, you know, knowing each other. other. Dude, I have to find this clip, and I know Governor's co- uh, podcast still has it somewhere, but I know I have it somewhere. And so much fun. I, I haven't laughed that hard in since, you know, the day before. So much. Well, we knew each we, we knew each other so long, and and we knew what made each other laugh, and so yeah. the idea was try to make each other laugh. Yeah. you know, and in those days at the East Side Comedy Club, which is like our home base, really, right. when Dixon's when we all graduated from Dixon's and moved on, and Richie Minervini opened up our own club um, mm-hmm. where we could actually get paid, and um, we'd Didn't go, we would show up on weekends even if we weren't booked. Yeah. And just go up on stage doing characters and fucking with the other comics. We yep. were on, and it was just Man. magic. I mean, when Joey Kohler would be there, I would be in the audience as a drunk. I would, I would, have a, uh, 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 I would do literally 20 minutes with me heckling him from the back. Uh, and it was so much fun. It was in those days. You know, because we had pretty much, it was Long Island Comedy, we pretty much invented it. It was like yeah. the comedy boom it was you guys. Big, and Long Island, we started it. And yep. we were calling all the shots, and it was just like this, the camaraderie and the playground. And it, just, and it was, we weren't making a lot of money, so it was a purity to it. It was for the love of it. It was yeah. for jazz. And you have to, I don't care how much money you're making, you have to love this craft. Because well, it's it's brutal. Yeah. It's, it's what you go through. I mean, everyone goes into stand-up because they didn't get enough love as a child or they didn't get enough attention, and they need the acceptance. They yes, need the, they need that love. outside adoration Ex- to fill that empty hole in our heart and soul. Daddy did because we're dead for attention, and so now we're going to be a stand-up comic. And mm-hmm. and so we're, we're putting ourselves in a situation where we're trying to gain this validation from strangers every single night. And it's like walking this stupid tightrope. Yeah. Like, put yourself in a, in a position that's the most vulnerable position you could possibly be. Yeah. And why do you do it? Because I can't think of doing anything else. I can't. And I know next month is my 28th birthday in stand-up. Oh, my God. Yeah. She's a kid. <laughs> but 28, I had my 28th anniversary doing stand-up when I was 67 years old. That's how old. <laughs> See, the sky is falling. <laughs> this is the high-tech technology we have here. That See, it's good stuff. It fell down. And nice to know that it you have. It fallen, and I got it back up. <laughs> nice to know that you have something to fall back on, this technical thing, in case this comedy thing doesn't work out for you in 20 yeah, years. We'll be right back. Look <laughs> at Joe Frank on the segue there for a second. We'll be back with Cot Soda, my friend. <laughs> I fucking love you. You know my Joe, my Joe Franco story, right? You told me before, but I forget, and my audience doesn't know it. Oh, okay. So t- just tell who Joe Franklin is. Joe Franklin was um, one of the original talk show hosts. He did a local talk show here in New York. Very Channel, local. <laughs> Channel 9. Um, he was like the mayor of Broadway. He was into all things show business. And he was such a legend that huge stars would drop by to do his show. I mean, she had this um, small studio above what was a porno theater in the in the old days, but now it's the Hard Rock in Times Square. And he had an office um, about the size of a broom closet that was floor to ceiling clippings. Yeah, I saw. I've been in his office before. So you know, yeah, that. It's floor to ceiling clippings, floor to ceiling, and 
he'd do like a pre-interview with you, and you come in, you sit down, and said, Rob Barley, my friend, Rob Barley, is going to be a big, big, big star. And says, Have you, what, do you, what do you think when I say the word, when I say the name Billy Gleason? I said, I, I, I'm not familiar. Oh, he gets up and he walks over to this wall of just like sheets of yellow newspaper clippings and he pulls one out and it's from Variety. It's a review of Billy Gleason's act from Variety. Oh my God. And so, but he knew where everything was. So he would have these shows where he would bring the most bizarre, because he did all the booking himself. Yeah. So we would have on Liza Minnelli. Yep. They would have on somebody who was opening up a deli. They would have somebody, <laughs> a, a community theater guy who was doing his tribute to um, Mark Twain. And then um, he'd have a birthday party magician. And then what he would do is everyone would do their stuff and they, you know, he'd sit on the, the couch yep. and he'd get bumped down like all the other talk shows. But he wanted to involve everybody. He wanted yeah. everyone to like kind of interact. He says, so my friends, the Liza Minnelli is going to be at the Carlisle. On, on Thursday, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go see Liza, and then when we're done, we're going to go over to the comic strip, and we're going to see Rob Bartlett, and then we're going to go down, and we're going to see the ma- magic, and then we're going to all end up at the deli. We're going to have a nice corned beef. And, <laughs> and he would ask everybody to comment on the other guests. <clears throat> well, I was on very, very early in my career. Um, I was on with Gloria Parker. Oh, my God. Who played the musical glasses. She was a virtuoso. She was, I think, the first female band leader. Wow. She had a big band, all women. <clears throat> really musical genius. And she had classes that she would fill with different level and she would play. And she had a record she was putting out. It was her musical classes at Christmas. So I was on with her. I was on with um a guy, I don't remember his name, but he was known as the Holocaust poet because he had written these poems when he was in Dachau or something when he was a kid. Wow. And so he had this book that he read So sad and dark. On, and then um Another act who, I, I, well, as the story goes on, you'll find out who the other act was. So, of course, I go on first. I do my act, whatever my 10 minutes were at the time. And I sit down, and he's interviewing me. Rob Barker, my friends, we'll be right back after this message of Joseph Speakerman's 16 Varieties of Ethnic Beds with Gloria Parker and her musical glasses. And I go to break, and then Gloria Parker comes out. She plays So Holy Night. It's unbelievable. The arrangement of the glasses. She sits down. She says, Rob, what did you think of Gloria Parker's musical glasses? I said, it's great. Some of the notes she hits, I said, does some dog show up? <laughs> she She's not happy. She starts like getting really pissed off at me. Like, oh, we're trying to ride this one out. So I'll be right back, my friends, after this message from Katsoda with Morris Karnofsky, the Holocaust poet. Guy comes out, he reads these poems, and one is more horrifyingly heartbreaking oh than the next. Way to the bring the room down. The camera guys are weeping. Oh my God. This guy, I mean, it's just really this blank verse. It's just oh my like, God. I'm chills now. Just right? I'm, I didn't hear it, but I'm getting Morris grilled. Morris Konofsky, my friend. Gloria Parker, what do you have to say? But Morris Konofsky goes, I'm not very much into poetry, but I, I, there are no words. Rob Bartlett, what did you think? I said, well, it's, he's reminding us of a time we should never forget. We'll be right back, my friends, at the dismissal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Crazy Eddie with Hannibal the Clown. Oh, no. And I turn to look at the camera guy, because I'm in the end, thank God. Right. And the camera guy goes, <laughs> so we go from the Holocaust poet to Hannibal Clown. Oh my God! Hannibal Clown comes. No out. segues, people. No segues. No, no. <laughs> She's there. She's in the full-on clown with the pointy hat. Oh my! God. On her, you know, big blousey clown costume. She's got 
bicycle horns and bicycle bells <laughs> and slide whistles and all these noisemakers attached. Right. Mm-hmm. When she did, she used when she did this little pantomime about a kid losing his balloon at the fair. Right. She doesn't speak. She just does all these things. Right, 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 right. She sits down. Annabelle the Clown, my friends. Um, Annabelle, what did you think of Rob Bartlett? Can you hear Rob Bartlett's going to be a big, big star? And she goes, <laughs> What did you think of Gloria Parker, the musical glasses? What did you think of Mars Karnofsky, the Holocaust poet? She goes like this. And she puts her hand on the bulb of the bicycle horn and squeezes it really slowly. So it goes, And she goes, I literally fell <laughs> over the arm of the couch to the side. The, the, the camera guy, he turns around and he can't look. We're trying to keep ourselves together. I'm not laughing. But I'm not laughing at this. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, ask a clown with a horn that doesn't speak. How did you think of the Holocaust? Just so great. Just so great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Yes. <laughs> with the big shoes but just... right here on this stage you've got a really big shoe <laughs> it's like the magician who followed the Beatles <laughs> Fred Hap is going to do Jeopardy Fred oh, let me write that down okay. I fucking love you you fucking make me laugh and those, those you got to look up Joe Franklin because that shit. When I first moved to New York City, somehow I met him at a show, and he invited me to his office. And at the time, it was on Eighth Avenue, right above where the McDonald's yep. slash Laugh Factory yep. slash Dwayne Reed is porn theater. Yep. And the Laugh Factory just opened, and I was just like, "Ugh, they're gonna push Jamie Masada out of this fucking uh-huh. place," which was great. Uh-huh. And. So I'd go up in his office. It was on like 43rd and mm. I'd go up the back building. And it was his room, like like you said, like a closet. And it was just boxes. It looked like all the president's men in 1977 yeah, right. in, in the in the storeroom. And he knew everything. Everything. And I just went in and I go, what am I getting? Am I going to get raped and murdered? You know, because I'm from California. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I didn't know Joe Franklin, you know, but I'd met him. And he's like, come to my office. I want to interview you. I'm going to, you know, talk to you and maybe represent all this stuff. And I went up there. I was like, I got to get out of here. This guy's nuts. And, and the, the people he would get on the show, I mean, Liza Minnelli and Judy Garland and Jack Benny and Spinal Tap did it a couple times. The Jay Giles Band was his last wow. guest. Wow. I, I mean, just everybody. Everybody wanted to do Joe Franklin. And, it and was I the, met him after all his heyday. <laughs> <laughs> when he was just back Joe. in the thirties, yeah, <laughs> I met him in the early two thousands. Oh wow, mid two thousands. Okay, so he was and, done by then. Yeah, he was pretty much done. Yeah, he was kind of crazy, and I was just like, I was sitting there next to his desk, going, "Where the fuck am I?" He ran a comedy, uh, comedy. Yeah, Joe Franklin's Joe Fr- on Eighth Avenue. Eighth I, I think that's where I met him. Probably. I did a spot there with Sheba Mason. And the little, you know, the little room, little room in the back. Yep. Yeah? That was like one of my first, you know, because I was here with Paul Mooney oh, working okay. at Caroline. So it kind of like gave me a little clout back then. But mm-hmm. then, then, but the industry hated Paul because he told them all to go fuck themselves, you know. Oh, oh my God. I kind of respect Paul, man. Yeah, yes. But they always said, oh, you opened for Paul Mooney? Yeah, you're a little too rough for us. They wouldn't even watch my set. Really? Yeah. I got turned away by a lot of clubs. And they, I'm like, I just killed 
how am I too rough? Oh, yeah, well, we didn't watch. We don't need to watch. We know. We know all about Paul. Yeah, it was bad. I went through a really dark phase after Paul Mooney. It's a, well, it's, you know. That's the business. Get a helmet. Yep. Because it's not, it's not for the weak-minded. No. Weak stomach. But I love it now more at 28 than I did at zero. Hmm. You know, I love stand-up comedy more now than I did then. Well, you know more. See, I because I, I know more. I'm more experienced. I have a whole different outlook now. I wouldn't start if I was just starting now. I wouldn't start. I wouldn't do it either because it's just it's the business has changed so dramatically, and we're still in a big transition. Like this is the late '90s again. Yeah, you know, the late yeah. '90s. It was like the comedy died. And Adam fell out. We couldn't get people in the club at the comedy store. We would go around with comedy store tickets that Mitzi had made, the mm-hmm. two for ones, mm-hmm. and we go to the hotel concierge and say, "Please give these to the hotel guests. We just need people. Mm-hmm. Well, we need the drinks. All we need are the two drink minimum. Yeah, you know, and that's how." we started getting people to come back but it was it was hard back then yeah. and and nowadays it's we're going through it again because they haven't figured out that just because they have a lot of followers on TikTok doesn't necessarily mean they can do a half hour 45 or they're going to actually put butts in the seats they pass here on passing when I mean the open mic night is here mm-hmm. they pass the audition here mm-hmm. on a, let's say a Sunday or a Monday right By Friday they have their own special yeah it's, it's insane. Yeah. And and we can't get arrested. Oh, I can. I find if I go into the subway, I look at my pants, and I go, Wee! I can get arrested. Assault with a dead weapon. I'm doing it. <laughs> that deserved it. That deserved it. That deserved it. Oh, fucking love you. So I always like to wrap up the podcast with two questions. That's it? We're done? Yeah. I came all the way in from fucking Long Island on the railroad for this. You get just like three questions and blow me off. That's it? Well, you know, you got about 10 minutes left. I want you to get home first. I don't have to carry the body. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That was for me. All right, so question one, I always love to ask, because it it's fascinating. And also, too, we get to learn a little comedy history or things that no one would know, because I have comics come on, and they'll tell an obscure local comic bit that's brilliant, or they'll talk about someone from way back in the day that never got their flowers mm-hmm. and has passed on now, and mm-hmm. so we can give them their flowers, even though they're dead and nobody cares. Right. And you know, just to, like, you know, and also just shows us what we're into, too. It's just fun. It's a fun question. So is there a comic that you've seen do a bit, and you went, holy shit, that's brilliant. I wish I had written that. Um, There are two comics okay. that I can say that about. Um, I'm, I suffer from comedian's disease, or I don't laugh at comics. I'll go, that's funny. But that's how comics laugh. That's funny. Wally Fultz and I were talking about this. I wouldn't open with it, but that's funny. Yeah. There's two <laughs> comics that make me laugh out loud, and it's David Tell. David Tell's a genius. And What's the bit? It's, What's one of the? Jet- I would love to have written for that, but the line that always sticks out in my head. I wrote, <laughs> I wrote an article for Tada Magazine, a magazine for and about gay magicians. <laughs> Tada Magazine. It's just I covet that line so much. And Eddie Pepitone is the other one. Oh, love Eddie Pepitone. Eddie Pepitone, the two of them. Turn me into jelly. And Eddie Pepitone, 
again, it's that almost like stream of consciousness. Yep. Never the same twice, or nope. the, the basic concept of sin. Mm -hmm. When he goes on about his father at the docks, oh, it's just, because it, it's a character, number one. Yep. I always gravitate towards the character stuff. Of course. But he is just so fucking brilliant and makes me laugh so hard when he does the toast of the wedding. That's a genius piece. Let's raise a glass for the bride. <laughs> She was a whore. Everyone knows she was. I mean, I'm not doing it justice. I, 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 I covet those two guys. They're just so, so damn funny. Fucking hilarious. One of my favorite Attell lines is when a joke bombs, and he'll take the mic and twist it and go, excuse me while I turn this back to funny. <laughs> it's so stupid, but it works every time. Everything he says is I just quit drinking back there. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing about baby shoes. Um, it was a midget. I have three friends. Um, a midget friend, um, some friend, and a guy who thinks Lord of the Rings is real. We call ourselves the unfuckables. <laughs> I'm not, again, I'm not doing it justice. Um, but it's just, it's just so great. His, I've seen him live a couple times. Uh, but when when his uh, when his first CD came out, my son was uh, my oldest son was about to go to college, and so I was doing I, know, I was doing Little Shop or How to Succeed. Mm -hmm. I think it was no, it was actually it was uh, it was Little Shop. It was Little Shop, mm -hmm. and so he came in. We had dinner, and he came to the show, and then afterwards we drove out to Brooklyn to Rollin' Roaster, which is like this place where they have these amazing roast beef sandwiches. Mm -hmm. so, on the way back to Long Island home. Right. And we listened to the David Tell CD. And you know when they say, you know, on the floor laughing? Yeah. I literally had to pull off the Belt Parkway because <laughs> I was laughing <laughs> so hard. <laughs> it's just baby shoes. Oh, oh, God. Fucking genius. Really funny. Really gen real genius. And he makes it look so easy. So easy. He makes it look like he's just making it up as he goes. Like you're just having a conversation with Dave. Just he's brilliant. He's really, one of the greatest of all. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the greatest of all time. Um, and also, you know how we love to tell street jokes because we're a hundred years old. Okay. You know mm -hmm. we always tell them, and they're fun, and we always try to make each other laugh with stupid jokes or dad jokes. So, what is your go-to street joke? I have, I have three. Okay, that I go to one. One is a very inside show business joke. Which oh, you I might know like. this. I know this one. That's great. Tell me. Do it for everybody. Um, guy is a screenwriter. He's trying to get a screenplay sold. He can't get a screenplay sold. His agent keeps calling him. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. He says he's going to lose his house. His family, his wife's going to leave him. His kids, you know, got a medical problem. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He's at the end of his rope. One morning, he gets a call from his agent. He says, sit down. I got somebody interested in the script. He says, who? He says, Steven Spielberg. He says, you shouldn't. He says, no, Steven Spielberg wants to option your script. The guy's elated. He can't believe the luck. All of a sudden, the, the sun comes out. It's like, of course, the next day, gets a call from the agent. He says, I, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but Spielberg dropped out. And the guy loses it. He says, that son of a bitch, that bastard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get a gun, and I'm going to go to his house. I'm going to put a bullet in his fucking head, and I'm going to put a gun in my mouth, and I'm blowing the top of my head off. And he leaves. The agent gets on the phone. 
Come on, Steven Spielberg says, Steve, Steve, hi, yeah. You know that screenwriter? Yeah, well, he's on he's on the way to your house. He has a gun, he wants to shoot you, and then he wants to kill himself. But that's not why I called. <laughs> and the car, Larry, did it. Guy is a casting agent having dinner with a studio head, and the studio head says, have you, have you heard about this Helene Goldberg? And the... Casting agent says, Helene Goldberg, who hasn't heard of her? She's the biggest tramp in Hollywood. She's fucked everybody. She's got no talent. The only thing she's ever gotten anywhere is because she can, she, you know, gives handies and, and blowjobs in the parking lot to every single one. Studio head goes, you know, that's my daughter. And the casting agent goes, let me finish. <laughs> one of my favorites is the three guys get, um, are in the jungle and they get captured by a bunch of cannibals. Yeah. And um, it's an Englishman and a Frenchman and a guy from Brooklyn. <laughs> and, uh, I think it's an Englishman, a Frenchman, and there's a fucking guy from Brooklyn over here. So, <laughs> so um, the, the chief says, you know, we are a, a primitive culture by your standards. Um, and what we do is um, we capture people, we, we cook them, we eat them, and then we build canoes out of your skin. We stretch your skin, and we, we, we dry it in the sun, and then we stretch it over wood, and we make our canoes out of your skin. It's just that I don't be offended. This is just our culture. This is the way we live. He says, but I'm going to give you all the opportunity to choose the method by which you would like to die. So polite. So the English guy, and very well spoken. Yeah, for, for a cannibal. For, <laughs> Um, Excuse me, I'd like to cut you open and use you as a canoe cover. Would that be all right with you? Oh, bloody hell. Silly Englishman says, all right, I'll take a knife. And the uh, cattle chief gives him the knife. He goes, God save the queen. He slices his throat, falls over dead. French prince says, I'll take a knife. Cannibal gives him a knife. He says, vive la France. Falls over. Guy from Brooklyn says, I want a fork. Cameron has this fork? Yeah, I mean, a fork. Takes a fork and goes, Canoes? Here's your fucking <laughs> Way to trash the studio, Bart. Well, I just had a book ended it. See, it's a callback to when she did it before. <laughs> That's very meta. I called back on the call. <laughs> uh, and what I just heard, too, it's, it's semi-dirty. Mm -hmm. um, this woman meets this guy, and she falls in love, and they're going to get married. And she says, I'm just going to let you know. He says, I'm not going to have sex with you until we're married. She said, that's okay. I respect that. He says, but I want to, you know, you should know this. Um, I, I, my penis is the same as, as a newborn's. She says, you, 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 she says uh, my penis is just like a newborn. She okay. On her wedding night, she reaches hand on his pants. She, she screams. She said, I thought you said you had a penis of a newborn. He says, I do. It's eight pounds, seven ounces, 19 inches long. Good night. <laughs> That's my time. Enjoy your headliner. Carrot top. We'll be right back. <laughs> Tip your comic and enjoy your weight staff. That's true.
<laughs> and don't forget the t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love you more than my life. Oh. And, uh, I love you too. This and thank you for letting the... me do the read-through with, uh, tell them the name of the play. Oh, it's called Eden, be screenplay. Eden the Midget, um, which is a phrase that, that comics use to describe when they're dying on stage. Yeah. Eat the midget. I ate the midget. It's on the east, it's very east people. coast. Yeah. Because on the west coast, we were like, we ate a shit sandwich. A shit sandwich, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's about comics, and it's about the Green Kitchen, which was the that used to be a diner on First Avenue, right around the corner from here, between here and Catch, and that's where everyone would accumulate, yep. and that's where we would go to get picked up to do the Connecticut gigs. Mm -hmm. You know, the Improv was where you would do the Jersey gigs. Yep, was right by the. It was set in 1993, right? Uh, yes, it was the year Carson went off the air. It's a couple of months before Carson's last show, and so it's the desperation of these comics who we never done. The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and the time's running out. So it's all about. It's a brilliant. I can't wait till it goes live. It's such a brilliant play. It was, just, it was fun. It's, it took me 25 years, years to write it, but. Doesn't matter. It's brilliant. I really enjoyed it. And I love you to death. And I'm so excited for all the projects that you're doing. And. I just love working with you with anything. And you're going to do my my new podcast, too. Oh, yeah. So tell everybody where that is and where they can find it. Um, it's called uh, Five Favorite Funny Films, where I get funny people to pick five of their favorite funny films and just explain why they chose those five. It's kind of like Desert Island Discs in that, you know, you have a scenario where you can only save five DVDs. Which are the ones that you're going to grant? Right. And tell me the reasons why. Because And it's great because they're they're it's tough. To pick only five. It is tough. I so was from yeah. Mel Brooks. There's at least three from Mel Brooks that I could I could. There's a million from every like. I, there's so many, but I have some that I I, I just go off. I'm I'm gonna go off the when I do a show. I'm gonna go off the list of ones that when it comes on or I see it, I have to watch it. Uh, you, even if I even if I memorize. Give me one of them. How to beat the high cost of living. What's that's. Jane Curtin. Jane Curtin. It's a brilliant fun. They and uh, what's her face. Um. Shit, what's her name? The actress and uh, where they steal the money from the mall, the money ball in the mall. And they 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 because they were both for like she was divorced and didn't get anything. Oh, that shit was brilliant, and it's so it's such a great movie. And like she's at the gas station and her card was declined. It was for seventy five cents. She goes, "I'll write you a check." <laughs> it's a great line. It's just such a funny movie. So I've watched that a million times, but. That's that's anyway, I love you. Tell everybody where they can find you on the social. Um, it's at the Robio, T H E R O B I O. It's on Instagram, and I think it's Facebook, and I think it's Threads, and I don't do TikTok because you know I don't want the Chinese people using my image to promote their child porn. Um, because I was a child porn actor. I don't know if you know that. And um, I was a child snuff film actress. I was a background player. I got snuffed. <laughs> I was snuffed number three. I was a fluffer. <laughs> for a... <laughs> I would I would get the the person who got cut up. I would get them ready. <laughs> um, that, that's enough already. See all that? See had to. Anyway, that's our show. Thanks for watching Old School, New School Comedy Podcast. I've been Christy Miller. This has been Rob Bartlett. Be sure, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the show. Can we get no. serious for just a second? Do it. Because we're running out of time. Okay. Well, you can cut out some of the shit that I said that wasn't funny.
Oh, so that goes the whole episode. Five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's always a pleasure to be around people you respect and truly admire. Just like the Bjorn. And I'm sorry you got stuck with me today instead. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very fortunate because I'm a stage of my life now, very reflect. And there are things that I think about that I didn't normally think about. And then things that I consider that I have never considered before. And I'm very, very much into that whole thing now. And, and I had this dream um, the other night and um, it kind of fits into this whole thing. Just, I find the gratitude is the driving force, what keeps you sane, especially in this building. Mm -hmm. And just shut the fuck up, would you? Let me just be still for a second. And um, this dream, I was walking down a beach, and there was like this slideshow on the horizon of all these moments of my life, all the high points of my career, all of my kids are born, and my grandkids, and, and then there. And, and in the pictures, God was somehow, or I envisioned God, I knew it in the dream, it was God, was there. And then, then there was a part of the slideshow where all these horrible things, like, you know, me, because I have Crohn's disease, you know, being in the hospital 50 times and going through all the surgeries and times when my kids were sick, and, you know, my mother died and all that kind of stuff. But God wasn't in any of those scenes. And then I, I turned and who I saw as God was next to me. And I said, why is it that when I was at the, you know, the high points you were there, but when it's all about you, isn't it, Mr. Big Shot? This is what I did there. It's called the bait and switch. God, I fucking hate you. <laughs> All right, you guys, that's our show. If you feel like being baited and switched, look up Rob on the Instagrams at the Robios at 007. Rob Bartlett Comedy I'm a Hour. Master Beta. That too. <laughs> For the bait and switch. Yeah. The master bait and switch. The master. Perfect. I love you so much. She always has to top it. She can't just let her lie. I'm a bottom trying to top, all right? Work with me. <laughs> I love you. Good night. <laughs>